0: Word, amen. You. I love you, brother. Love you too. Wow. But told me you get rid of me by now, but I'm glad I'm still here. And uh, <laughs> let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Again, thank you. That's a good crowd for Sunday night. Pretty good crowd. Amen. Amen. You know, I I love to preach from Genesis to Revelation, but uh, there's something about the cross that I had a preacher friend, Jack Woods, and My pastor Greg Step always say this: "You want to hear about the cross, go hear Umberto." That's what I say because I'm he's always around the cross, and I like it there. I like it there. So, Gospel of Luke chapter twenty-three. Do you mind? We stand for the region of the world. If I feel like it, may, maybe in one of the final points, I might mention a little bit about the Bible, but uh, uh, let's stay with missions this time. But I, I, I love the King James Bible, and I know it's perfect. Absolutely. And, and, and we, we had a Spanish Bible that read a little bit different in many places. I know you cannot copy and paste from one language to another, but they don't have to contradict each other, especially if they come from the same root, the text receptors. So that's why we did what we did, and, and God has blessed you. It's already over 6 million complete Bibles distributed all over the Spanish countries. And, 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 and I don't get any royalties. <laughs> You'll be my friend. <laughs> we'll be rich. <laughs> no, it's not the purpose. It's not the purpose. It's free. Anybody wants to print it, they can. We just want to reach out to our Spanish-speaking brethren. The word of the Lord. Okay, Luke 23, verse beginning in verse 38, all the way through 43. The Bible say, says, and a superscription also was written. Over him, in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged rail on him, saying, "If thou be Christ, save thyself and us." But the other, meaning the other malefactor, Answering, rebuke him, saying, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. And then looking unto Jesus, he said, But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comes into thy kingdom. And Jesus say unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today, not then, today shall thou be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for allowing me the blessing to be here. I sense thy presence. Good people, good church, good pastor. Lord, thank you. Thank you. What a blessing. Thank you. Help me to be a blessing to them tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. As a way of introduction, let me say just three things about the crucifixion that might be a blessing to you. And we'll open our minds and hearts. First of all, the crucifixion took place not in a valley, deep valley, but up in a hill in a mountain. Okay? Get the idea. Secondly, the crucifixion did not take take place around 3 o'clock in the morning or in a dark cave in a dark hour in the middle of the night but it took place in the middle of the day. Somewhere between 9 o'clock and 3 p.m. You get the point. Thirdly, A superscription was written on top of the cross in three languages. Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. They were the most known languages in the whole world then. Does these three things tell you something? I believe those three things tell me that God wanted to know, everybody to know, what took place in the cross of Calvary. God intended for the whole world to know what Christ did in the cross of Calvary for all of us. Here we see the Lord Jesus. I'll get a message in a minute. Just give me a couple of minutes. Here we find the Lord Jesus, humanly speaking, is the most precarious of his conditions. He's in agony, he's bleeding, he's dying, he has nails on his hands, a crown of thorns on his head, he's suffering, he's in pain. I will say this again, this was the weakest moment of his life, humanly speaking. But even in this moment, his hand was still mighty to save. Still mighty to save. I, wish I Let me go ahead. Uh, uh, I sure ch- ch- changed you this morning. I think I preached very brief. So g- g- give, me the few minutes, uh, give me the few minutes that I owe you from, from this morning. And I want to say... What I feel like I need to say. But you see, when, 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 this, when this thief say, Lord, this was the first friendly word that Jesus heard on the cross at Calvary. Lord, as he was saying, I don't see a crown of gold. I see a crown of thorns, but to me, you are the Lord. I don't see you with a scepter in your hand. I see nails in your hands, but to me, you are the Lord. I don't see you sitting in a throne. I see you hanging on a cross, but to me, you are the Lord. Lord. Will you believe, preacher, that this word, Lord, they remove it from our Spanish Bible? That's why we did a revision. Lord, remember me. Here's this man. He was a, the Bible calls him a malefactor. And you know, a malefactor, uh, it's a word made of two words. Malefactor. Mal means evil. Mal. And factor, a factory. An evildoer. He was a factory of evil. He was not something that just, somebody that just committed a crime and, 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 and was sentenced. No, it was his career. He was a criminal by career. He was a malefactor. And this man, after suffering because the life of a malefactor is a suffering life, uh, young people, uh, don't let the world deceive you. The life outside of Christ is an ugly life. Right. The, the, regardless of the glamour that they present, it's an ugly life. I've been there. I know how it is. It's a suffering life. Not only you suffer, but your whole family suffers. And this man, after having a rough life, he ends up in a cross and I believe that by this moment, he was already feeling the flames of hell under his feet. But in the last moment of his life, he called on Jesus. And he said, Lord. And Jesus had mercy on his soul and saved him and took him with me, with him to paradise. And I always preach about the beauty of the salvation of this thief. But one day God gave me a message from a different point of view and that's what I want to preach tonight. And I titled this message A Sad Story. Come on, Brother Gomez. Nothing said about being saved and being taken to heaven to paradise with Christ. Nothing said about it. Well, after you hear the message... You might agree with me. The story of this thief is one of the saddest stories that I can think of as a Christian. First of all, the story of this man is a sad story, first of all, because he never had a chance to make it right with his family. This man never had a chance to amend things with his family. I guess you will agree with me, this man has dragged the name of the family through the mouth as a criminal and then he dies with shame and a cross. At the last moment of his life, the Lord saves him but he never had a chance to make it right with his family. I don't know, he had a wife and children, probably. But one thing we know for sure, he had a mom and daddy. Can you imagine preacher, this man from the cross after making his mom suffer and cry for him so much? One day the Lord saves him. And takes him to heaven. But this man never had a chance. To go tell his mom. That Christ has forgiven him. What a sad story. I gave my testimony this morning. And I I will give just briefly a little bit more of it. Because uh, I know maybe some of you were not here this morning. But let me say this. uh, I used to live such a life, a life of misery and pain, and I inflict a lot of pain to my family. I remember the times that uh, I was only 12 and I would lay on the ground drunk, and people would pass by, and, and some would come to my house and tell my older brother Bernardo, he was only two years older than me. He said, Hey, there's Humberto laying over there in the alley, and laying in his own waist. And I will not forget my brother, Bernardo, coming to pick me up. And when he picked me up, I saw his tears. Many times. And I said this morning, we made our mom suffer so much. But I'm glad that one blessed day the Lord came into my heart and changed my life, saved me. And not only saved me, but gave me the privilege to make it right with my family. I went to my mom and I said, Mommy, I'm sorry I've been a bad boy, but Mommy, let me tell you, you don't have to worry about me no more. The Lord changed my life. The Lord changed my life. And then I told all my brothers and all the people that I done wrong. But this man never had a chance. What a sad story to make it right with his family. Sad story will be The story of so many Christians that have known the Lord for a long time. And yet they don't tell their relatives about Christ. What a sad story. Would you let your aunt, your uncle, your nephew, your cousin, your mom, your dad go to hell without you telling them about Christ? Would you do that? No, please, no. Go tell them about Christ. This man never had a chance to make it right with his family. Secondly, and I say this, this man never had a chance to make it right with his friends. I have no doubts. I probably uh, am probably wrong. But somehow, I believe, preacher, that the other thief that died and went to hell did so because of his bad Influence. I I, I hate to say it, but uh, I used to be a gang leader in Mexico and I had my followers and I fought every day. And we fought against other gangs and we did a lot of damage. But I can recall at least two, three, four that die because they follow my steps and they die and they went to hell. And it is painful, but what can I do? It's in the past. But when I got saved, I didn't have a chance to go tell these guys, but I had enough chance to go tell the ones that were still alive that Christ has saved me and changed me, and he will do the same for him. When we started our first church in Matamoros, it's called the Lamb of God, El Cordero de Dios, the Lamb of God. I said it before this morning, that church runs easily, four or five hundred and a special day, as many as eight hundred to a thousand people. They run about eight buses, bring kids and, and soul winners. Many preachers have come out of that church. It was my first church that I started when I went back to Mexico's missionary. The man that pastored that church was an old friend of mine. He was not as mean as me, but he was a sinner too. We used to play baseball together. When I got saved, I went through all my neighborhood and told them what the Lord Jesus had done for me. Brother Juan got saved, and now he pastors that church. He was my assistant pastor for three years, my song leader. And then turned the church over to him, and he's been there faithful ever since. And I can go on and on and tell you of several friends that I had the blessing, the privilege, to lead to the Lord. The story of this man is a success story, thirdly. And and, uh, you might not like this one. I love it. And don't hit the brakes on me, okay? This man never had a chance to reach down and sacrificially give something to the Lord. What a sad story. You see, this man will live for all eternity without ever knowing how it is to give sacrificially to the one that sacrifice, his life. I say giving is divine. Uh, don't hit the brakes on me, okay? I'm going to preach about giving a little bit. I love it. I love it. Giving is what got me save. I mean... If it wasn't for the churches they gave, uh, so the missionary will go to my place and preach to me Christ, I will be lost, I probably be, will be in hell right now. And I was say because I've given not only the sacrifice of, of God's people, but the, the man that gave his own life to go and preach to me the gospel. To be honest, we are all born takers. As soon as we're born, we want to grab everything for ourselves. We, grandpas, grandmas, we say that our children are generous. It's not the case. You know better. They're rascals. They are born takers, all of us. But when somebody starts giving, it's a divine proof that the greatest giver has moved into their hearts. I love giving. If You are not a giver. You can be my acquaintance. But you will not be my friend. Sorry. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. There's something about giving I love. I, I teach my children how to give. I did not know any better. When I got saved, uh, I remember I started working again, and, and, and I remember the first pay they paid me when I came to church. In, in my innocence, I was just saved. I did not know about tithing anything, but uh, preacher, I said to the Lord, from now on, from the rest of my life, I'm going to give you half of whatever I make. I will give it to the work of God. That was about 50 years ago. I did not know about hiding. I'm not boasting. I'm just saying for the glory of God. It's way beyond that now. After 50 years. Not only that, but I had relatives and friends that entered that covenant. And and I won't... I'm praying that one day the Lord will let me live of the 10% and give him the 90%. Will it be possible? I don't know. But we're gaining on it. I teach my children how to give. I remember my older boy. He, little kid, 6, 7, I would drop him to school. If a missionary would come by, he would come and say, Daddy, Can I have this week's allowance so that I can give to this missionary? And I will let my boy give. You know, his faith kept growing. I remember me and my wife would take him to school, drop him off. And my wife, you know how ladies are. She would look at me and say, you're not going to give him anything? And I said, no, let him feel like it. Let him do without. He gave it to the Lord. Let him feel it. And his faith kept growing. And growing. Then it was not one week allowance. It was a month allowance. Then was three months allowance. One day a missionary came and needed a roof in his church. And he cried. You know how missionaries are. They cry and make you cry. And, and, and he told them that, 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 that. I mean they all get wet when it rains. And, 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 and my My son came to me and said, David, look at the beautiful building we have. And this man don't have a roof. And he was weeping and say, can I have this year's allowance? Say yes son. It was Lord have mercy. About thirty years ago. Around 91, I was headed for the mountains to the Aztec Indians. And my boy wanted to go, but I, but I saw him. He was getting sick. And, and he was coughing a lot. And uh, he was chubby, but he was losing weight. And, 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 and I thought he had a heavy case of the flu. So I told him to stay home. And I want to go to the Indians with the men of my church in Matamoros. But he cried and begged me and said, Daddy, I'm feeling fine. I want to go. I want to go. And so finally, he twisted my arm strong enough that I say, okay, son. And I took him with me. He was only about 14. He was preaching in one of the villages way down in the mountains. That boy started preaching when he was eight. I don't call him to preach. I did not ask him to. And I remember he was preaching. And then I saw him that when he was preaching, he began to, to go like this. And uh, like uh, he was going to wavering and, and, and like uh, uh, just about to fall. And I was behind. And I said, come on, boy, preach! And, and he was trying his best. And then one of my deacons Brother Ramon touched me and said, Pastor, Junior is sick. And then before long, he collapsed. And you should have seen him there. Then the whole ground was wet with his sweat. And we had to rush him to the hospital and to make a brief story. We heard the word cancer a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had a big tumor in the middle of his chest that were pushing his lungs and his heart. He was only 14. My only boy, one boy, three girls. Never smoked, never drank, never gave me half a problem. And people found out immediately he was sick. It was in the house, right in the porch. And we did not know what to do, where to go. I didn't have any money to take him to a hospital. Uh, I didn't have insurance, of course. And, and I did not know what to do. And and, and we was contemplating taking him to a city in, in Mexico, Monterrey. And even for that, we didn't have any money. But that's what we were contemplating. And before we left... Uh, my boy grabbed the guitar, and he said, Mom, let's sing a song before we go. And he asked his mom to sing Maestra Galilea, "Master Galilea. And my wife, we got to sing, and she was crying. And, but and we kept singing and praying and singing and praying and singing and praying. And then my phone rang. Preacher friend. Dwayne Hudson, from Galveston, Texas. He called me and said, Oh, Hora, but Humberto. And and, I said, yes, preacher. And he told me, Will you be interested to bring him to the MD Anderson Hospital in Houston, Texas? And I said, preacher, we don't have any money. And he said, just give me a minute. I'm going to make some calls. So he hung up, and we kept, we kept singing. And then later on, he called me and say, Come over! Come over! And somehow the Lord opened the doors of MD Anderson Hospital in Houston. And they took my boy. He went through chemotherapy, radiation. The first three weeks that he was there in the hospital, uh, they did, uh, they removed some of his lymph nodes to check what type of cancer he had, and, and and I remember when he came out of the operation, he, after he came out of the anesthesia, they had, an, he had an oxygen mask, had needles in his arms and his legs, and and he was there, couldn't hardly talk, skinny now, and he looked at me, and he said something weird. He said, Daddy, what are you going to do to pay my hospital bills? I mean, I thought it was the last thing in his mind. And I say, son, don't you worry about it? God will take care. We do whatever it takes. We'll make payments. I sell my car. I sell my house. If I have to go in the streets and beg for money, I will go beg for money. We'll do whatever it takes. You just trust the Lord. And then he looked at me and he said, Eddie, I just don't want you to stop supporting our Indian preachers in order to pay my hospital bill. Because I'd rather have God take my life. I say, you think your daddy's is going to do that, son? He said, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, daddy. I shouldn't say it. About three days later, the vice president of the hospital called me to her office. Showed me the computer. Three weeks, already $89,000. Plus. And she asked me the same question that my son asked me. She said, Howdy, Mr. Gomez, preacher, Reverend. She knew that I was a preacher. How are you going to do this? And I told her exactly the same thing that I told my boy. I'm willing to sell everything I have. If I have to go in the streets and beg for money, I'll beg for money. Just make it a monthly payment and we'll do. And then she grabbed one of those pens and went like this and raised the account to zero. And she said "Is as long as your boy lives, he's on us, free of charge. You don't have to pay a single penny. You say, why? Well, maybe there's a God in heaven that heard a boy dying of cancer that said, I'd rather God take my life than we stop supporting our missionaries. It was two long years. One day the smell in the room was so heavy, cancer coming out of his mouth, his nose, nothing but skin and bones. You know I had to go pick him up, take him to the restroom, clean him up and put him in bed. My boy now was fifteen, going into sixteen. One day when we couldn't stand the the smell. I took him outside, put him in a wheelchair, took him outside, and I say to this boy, I say, son, I had a hard time, but finally I was able to say it. I say, you're going to go home. And she was like this, he was the had no strength. And when I say that, he strengthened like this, and he said, right? Really? He said, I'm going to beat you to it. I'm going to go meet my Jesus. I'm going to go meet my Jesus. I'm going to get there before you do. Finally, I'm going to be my dad in something. I had to feed him with a spoon. But then one day, something happened. As I was about to feed him, he stretched his hand and took the spoon from me. He took it to his mouth. And before long, he began to Gain strength, and two years, of battling cancer, he walked out of the hospital on his own feet, free of cancer. It's been 30 years, 31 years now. He's back in the mountains preaching the gospel, he's in charge of the ministry. he's preaching. They told him, because of all the radiation and chemotherapy, he will not be able to reproduce children. but he got married and sure enough, nine months later, he made a grandpa of me, and then another boy came, and then one more, and then one more and finally he said, hey, uh, we better." Uh, uh, do surgery in my wife so not to have any more children, so uh, we had to stop them four. Well, after two years, uh, she having surgery. Guess what happened? She got pregnant again. And I told my boy, You're the one that needs surgery, not her. <laughs> but I say that to say this you cannot outgive God, you give the Lord, and He will bless you. Giving is divine. Uh, I, I can give you testimony after testimony. My mom, she was a giver, she was a soul winner. There's an Indian man, by the way, he's struggling with his life. His name is Elpidio, and he's in Houston, Texas. He's a contractor, uh, uh, he's dying right now. That man gives over $3,000 a month to missions. My mom found them. And the Greyhound, stationed, drunk, with no home, homeless. And my mom led him to the Lord. And that man got gloriously saved. He's an Indian from the city, from the state of Oaxaca, Mexico, way south. But he got saved. His wife got saved. Then he went back, got his children. And now he's in the States. And, and they love me to death. He's my boy. But that man is a giver. I say, giving is divine. Giving is divine. But this man went to heaven without even knowing how he feels. I'm going to give you two more and I'll be done. It is a sad story because this man never had a chance to do anything for his country. To get involved in the work of God. I consider it a great privilege that the man, that the God that pulled me out of the garbage can also one day pulled me out of my business and called me to the ministry and gave me a part, gave me a chance to participate in the greatest work under heaven, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not pretend that I have obtained much. But God has allowed us to do something for our country. Let me finish with this, and I'm done. It is a sad story because this man, one day, will appear in the judgment seat of Christ. Because we all will appear in the judgment seat of Christ. And he will be. Empty. I do not pretend that I have obtained any crowns. But I want to continue to give it my best to see if I can get at least one crown in heaven. No, 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 no. Gold does not appeal to me. I don't own anything of gold. I can care less about gold. When I said gold doesn't bring me happiness. When I'm hungry, I cannot eat gold. I can care less about gold. But I will love, I will love to get at least one crown. That one day, I will have something in my hands. To put at the feet of Jesus and to say, Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for my life. Thank you for saving my wretched soul. And for giving me the privilege to participate in the work. Of God, do you believe that the Lord saved you and that your part of life is only to make another buck and to keep going? Are you gonna spend the rest of your life flipping hamburgers behind a computer? Make a difference, get involved, do something for eternity, don't let your life be a sad. Story. Can I ask you, what will be your story? What will be your story? Get involved in the work of God. Let's bow our heads. This man had excuse. Had no time. Had nails in his hands. But you and I have no excuses. We can have a better life. We can have a good story. Get involved in the work of God. We stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Just have a word of prayer and then we'll have a time of invitation. Father, we thank you.